Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these wonderful songs, for this music. I pray that you'd help us to take the message from these songs and apply it in our lives. May it bring a joy and a comfort. I pray you'd take your word as we uh, open the Bible and that the Holy Spirit would teach us and help us and give us what we need in our hearts and lives. Lord, help us to make it a part of our everyday life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You may know that I happen to be up here because Bruce is in Europe and he uh, he's speaking in a meeting over there. He'll be speaking seven times here in the next few days. And Sharice will be speaking three times in a, a conference over there. <clears throat> Something happened this week um, that uh, I'm glad, by the way, I'm glad you're here. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, but I'm even more glad that I'm here. <laughs> and let me explain that. <clears throat> because uh, there was a college-age girl, a uh, young lady that got saved, and she wanted to be baptized. And so Bruce was gone, and he couldn't do it. And Jim was at camp. And so as a last resort, they asked me if I would baptize her. And I said, sure. I thought we were talking about in the church babster here. But they were talking about in the ocean. They asked me if I swam in the ocean. I said, no, I've been here five years and I've never even waded in the ocean. <laughs> and, uh, but they, they wanted me to baptize this young lady. And I said, sure, I'll do my best. So I called Bruce and I said, give me... Uh, some information how, uh, how it goes, what, what I need to do to baptize in the ocean. He said, well, there's nothing to it. Just go out there about waist deep. And uh, when uh, a, a wave comes along, it'll raise the water level, and you just back up, and it's easy. And uh, so I said, okay. So we got out there to the ocean yesterday, and um, the, I looked, and where we came out to the beach there, the waves were huge. <laughs> and and uh, I looked down, you know, what would be six or eight blocks or so, and where it kind of turns, you know, and goes toward Seal Beach or whatever, and the waves were small. And I said, down there, it's real calm. And they said, this would be just fine right here. So okay, here we go. So I explained to the family what baptism means, that um, when you get saved, you uh, have trusted in Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins and was buried and rose from the dead. And you believe that with all your heart. And uh, so I said, when you go down in the baptismal waters, 
then that pictures your faith in him that he died for you and was buried. And then you come up out of the water, it pictures that he rose from the dead and that you have trusted in his death and resurrection for you. And also it pictures the fact that we're all born with a sinful nature. We're spiritually dead. But we die to that old life of sin when we come to Christ and um, we, in a sense, bury that old life and now Christ lives in our heart and we've been resurrected into a life with Christ. And I explained how that, you know, that, that pictured Christ's death and burial and our death to self and sin and this pictured his resurrection and our faith in him. And uh, they said, yeah, okay, we, we got it. We understand it. So I, the, the girl and I started walking out in the water and we got out there about so deep. And so I told her, I said, now you grip my wrist with both hands tight. And uh, when we start down, I said, when a wave comes, when, we start, when you start down, just hold your breath. I'll hold your mouth and your nose, and uh, we'll just baptize you and nothing to worry about. So I saw a, a wave coming, and I said, are you ready? She said, I'm ready. I just saw it out there. I didn't see anything. Uh, I was talking to her. And so I started to baptize her, and all of a sudden, the water came completely over our head and just shoved me. I don't know what happened to her. She was gone. But I was fighting for my life. And the wave, the wave wasn't the worst part. Then the wave started coming back and there was an undertow. The undercurrent was just taking me back into the ocean. And I, with every amount of strength that I had, I, I saved myself from going under. And finally, I found her out there. She's okay. <laughs> so I told her, did you go under? She said, yes. I said, okay, you're baptized. <laughs> We're not doing this again. I am glad that I'm here this morning. <laughs> really, it, it took me two, three hours for my emotions just to settle down. I thought I was going to drown. <clears throat> and so you understand when I say I'm, I'm more glad I'm here than you. <clears throat> Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms chapter 23? In Psalms 23, it starts off with David, King David, saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Or that's poetic language, a song. But it's saying, David is saying to God, I praise you, I thank you, you're my shepherd, and you take care of me, I don't have to want, you lead me into green pastures, 
You lead me beside the still waters. You give me times of peace. You, you restore my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and staff, they comfort me. David is saying, even when it comes time to die, I won't have to be afraid. Because God is going to be there with me. And he will take care of me and take me to heaven. Then in verse 5, David had many enemies. There were people trying to kill him at different times. And there were all types of challenges and struggles. And in verse 5, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Even in the face of all the problems and threats to his life, there was a joy overflowing in his life. So in verse 6, he says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So David talks about his struggles and um, how that God was there for him. In verse number 3, I want us to talk about the first line of verse 3. He restores my soul. David is saying God is the antidote for damaged emotions. God can restore our soul. This is good news, folks, because we all get hurt. Life is tough. We get beat up by discouragement and depression and despair at times. We all get tired. We fatigue. We fail many times. We get frustrated because we can't get life to work like it's supposed to. And we, we, we try and things go wrong. And, and we have all kinds of fears. There are hurts in our past that wound us. We have battle scars. We carry this emotional garbage. But God wants to restore our soul. So how does God do that? God restores our soul when we let him remove our guilt. When we let him re relieve us from our grief, when we let him replace our grudges. First, God wants us to let him remove our guilt. Guilt will damage your soul. David talked about that in Psalms chapter 38. If you just flip over a few pages from where you are there to Psalms 38. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me. 
Your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bone because of my sin. For my iniquity has gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day long I go about mourning. David had plenty of reasons to feel guilt in his life. And you know, most of us do too, because none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. We all sin. And then we also carry a guilt because sin is just a part of our nature. You know, Satan kind of has a beachhead in our life because by nature we have desires that are wrong. And Satan can tempt us through our own desires and wants. Jeremiah talked about this in Jeremiah 17, 9. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You know, you can't get away from the guilt because it's part of us. You can move to a new location, but your, your conscience, your guilty conscience will just move with you. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27 talks about this. It says, the spirit of man, referring to our conscience, is the lamp of the Lord searching all his innermost parts. Our conscience, like a floodlight, is shining on our, our wrong, our guilt, our sin, and bringing it to our attention. So how do you get rid of this guilt? Well, you could deny it. You could say, you could pretend it doesn't exist, but it won't relieve you. You could minimize the guilt. You could say, well, you know, what I did is just no big thing. It's, it's not really a big sin, but you still remember it. You could compromise and lower your standards. You could say, well, you know, I used to think that was wrong, but I don't believe that anymore. And you know what? After you commit a sin for a, several times, it doesn't seem as bad, does it? As a matter of fact, after you continue to sin, it sears our conscience. But the guilt is still there. You can rationalize. Well, everybody's doing it. Well, in the first place, everybody's not doing it. And in the second place, even if everybody was doing it, it does not justify it or make it right. We can always find somebody worse than us <laughs> and, and say that, well, I'm better than them. 
we can blame others for what they've done for, to us and how they've hurt us. You know, we kind of have a scale, don't we? I didn't hurt them any worse than they hurt me. So we kind of try to balance it to get rid of the guilt. Then a lot of times we just beat ourselves up, self-administer punishment. But guilt can make you sick and cause depression. The only solution for guilt is to give it to God. He's the only one that can remove it. On the screen, I'd like for him to put up Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 starts out in this chapter. And it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, this just simply says all of us are sinners. We've all done things we knew was wrong and we did them anyway. We are, we've all come short. We don't deserve to go to heaven. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 24 says, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Now, the word justify means, and you might want to write this in your Bible. Just put down the word justify there by that where you find it. And the word justify means to be declared righteous by God. So, we are justified or declared righteous by God by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Now the word propitiation means a provision whereby God can pity us. Or give us grace, give us mercy. And it, so it says, whom God has put forth as a perpetuation by his blood. God put the suffering of Jesus Christ for our sins as a perpetuation, a provision whereby we could receive mercy through his blood, through the suffering of and death of Christ, we can be forgiven and cleansed of our sins. He goes on to say, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he passed over our former sins. When we come to God, repenting of our sins, trusting Jesus Christ from our heart as our Lord and Savior, God takes away, cleanses us and our record of all of our sin and puts the righteousness of Christ on our account. The most basic belief and truth of Christianity is the fact that Jesus Christ has already paid for all of our sins. So, how do we get our guilt removed? Through the blood of Jesus Christ and through faith and what he did for us. There is no other way, folks. You can't beg God or 
bribe God or bargain with God? Are you like me? I, sometimes I try to bargain with God. I say, God, if you just let me go on this, uh, this one thing, I won't ever do that again. Of course, I always do. God says, believe in me. Trust me. Accept the free gift of Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, and I will cleanse you of your sins. God can wipe away all the sin from your record, and you can start over. Start over with a clean conscience. In the book of 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, the Bible says it this way. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, it says, if we confess, the word confess there is translated from Greek into English as confess. It, in the Greek, it is if we agree with God that that sin is wrong. If we confess our sins, if we repent of it, then he is faithful. We're not faithful, but God is faithful to us. He is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us of all of our sins and to give us the righteousness of Christ. So if you ask God to forgive you of your sins and then you still feel guilty, you don't understand the forgiveness of God. Because God's forgiveness is immediately. God's forgiveness is freely. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You don't deserve it. You don't have to pay for it. God's forgiveness is completely. And God's forgiveness is unconditionally. God will wipe away the guilt. The first time you asked and genuinely repent. So, what if you still have guilt? Then that's because you're listening to the devil. Folks, the devil is a liar. The devil will lie to you on both ends. Before you sin, he'll come to you and tempt you to sin, and, and, and he'll show you how much fun you can have. And how exciting this is going to be. And how you're going to miss out of so much that you deserve if you don't do this. And so you give in and you sin and then the devil will come back. And he will say, you're a dirty, dirty person. You're a rotten, sorry, no good person. There's no sense in you praying because God would never forgive you. He would never listen to you. You're just a hypocrite. That's the way the devil will do. Don't listen to him. The devil will tell you God will never forgive you. You remember God says, I'll forgive you if you confess your sins. I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And give you the righteousness of Christ. In the Bible, there are phrases that illustrate how God gets rid of our sins and kind of picturesque phrases. 
for instance, one place in the Bible, it says that God puts our sins behind his back, never to see them again, never to remember them again. Another place in the Bible, it says that God puts our sin in the deepest sea, and they'll never come up again. Another place in the Bible, it says that God puts our sins away from him as far as the east is from the west, never to remember them again. In the book of Colossians, chapter number 2, and verse 13, it puts it this way. And you who were dead in your trespasses, God has made alive together with him, having forgiven your trespasses. How did he do that? The next verse says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us as a legal demand, he set it aside, nailing it to his cross. So God can cancel our, our debt of sin, our debt to, to him. Uh, did you know that God has to punish sin? God can't just overlook sin or God would be wrong. He has to punish sin. And so what he did is he sent his own son here to the earth to die in our place and suffer for our sins. When Christ was dying on the cross, he took my sin and your sin and put it on Christ and punished Jesus Christ for our sins. So this verse says that God can cancel the sin that's on your record and the debt that you owe. The guilt can be gone by canceling the debt or the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he does as he sets it aside, nailing it to his cross. Did you ever have a bill you didn't have the money for and you were concerned about that bill that had to be paid and somehow you got the money and you took the money down there and paid that bill? You don't have to worry about it. You don't go keep worrying about that bill, do you? It's paid. If Satan comes to you and tells you that your sins still have to be paid for, you tell him to go but a stump. Because Jesus Christ has settled the debt. It's paid for. Don't listen to him. You don't have to keep nailing yourself to the cross because Christ nailed that sin to his cross. So, let God remove your guilt. Then second, let God re relieve your grief. Grief will damage your emotions. Some of the things that we're grieved about is things we bring on ourselves. Some of our grief comes because of what other people do to us. People hurt us. I hate to say it, 
but you're going to be hurt. It's just a fact of life. You're going to experience loneliness and probably sickness. This is not heaven yet, folks. This is earth. This is a sinful earth. Earth is imperfect. Some days your heart is going to be broken. Some days you're going to feel despair. Some days you're going to experience sorrow and loss and grief. God knows what you're going through. God cares and God goes through it with you. The the people of this church care about you. But only Jesus Christ can fill that emptiness and relieve that grief. So when your heart is broken, what do you do? Well, you can have a pity party, but nobody bring refreshments. You can play the if I had a only game, but that won't help. You can withdraw into a shell and say, I'll never let anybody hurt me again. I'll never let a man, I'll never, never let a woman. That won't work. We have to live in life and society. Let Jesus restore your soul. Take your grief to him. This is what David was teaching us there in Psalms 23. The Lord restores my soul. David had a lot of grief. He had a lot of enemies. A lot of people were trying to kill him. He had a lot of challenges. He he made a lot of mistakes. He did things that were wrong. In Psalms 31 and verse 9, David says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and body also. Sometimes we're grieved because of our own actions. I don't know about you, but I do some stupid things. I make some mistakes. I commit sin. Sometimes we're grieved because of what other people do to us and they hurt us. Sometimes we're grieved because we lose somebody that we desperately need and that we loved and yet they're gone. Sometimes we're innocent. And someone victimizes us and hurts us. God says, bring your grief to me. David was king of Israel. And David and his country was in a war. And the, the soldiers were out on the front lines fighting. And David was at home in Jerusalem and get some fresh air, I guess. He was walking on the, t- the roof of his house. And he saw a, a beautiful woman, the Bible says, bathing on her roof. And David let his emotions run wild, his desires. And he sent for that woman And took her and committed adultery with her. 
A little time went by and he got a, a note from her, I'm pregnant. David thought, well, I've got to cover this up. So he sent a note to the commanding general on the front lines of the war and said, send this man to me. He needs a little R&R. And so the man got there to David's palace. And David said, now, you've been out there fighting, and you deserve a break, and you need, need some rest, and I want you to go home. Um, I'm sending some filet mignons. Go home and grill them on the grill. Now, it doesn't exactly say that, but that's what he's getting at. And, um, and so the man left, but he didn't go home. David called him in and said, why didn't you go home? And spend time with your wife. And he said, my fellow countrymen are fighting a war. We're being attacked. Our country is being attacked. I need to be out there with them. I can't go home. Let me go back to the battle. David wrote a note to his commanding general and sealed it said, put this man in the fierceness, fiercest fight in the hottest battle and then withdraw from him. The man was killed. Bathsheba that David had committed adultery with, the man's wife, the baby was born. About a year went by. And the baby got deathly sick. And David went out on the ground and lay down on his face and didn't eat for a week. Prayed and wept and wept and wept. Praying that, that, ba that God would save that baby's life. In Psalms 51, we see part of that prayer. Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. On down in verse, 30, or verse 17 of Psalm 51, David said, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. David's heart was broken over his sin, over what he had done. The baby died. David realized the baby was gone. And he got up off the ground and went in and cleaned up and went to church and came back and told some of his servants, fix me something to eat. 
the servants were bewildered. They didn't, couldn't figure it out. They said, while the child was alive, you were on your face on the ground, not even eating for a week, and you wept and wept and wept and prayed and prayed. And now that the child has died, you get up and clean up and change clothes and go to church and want to eat. We don't understand it. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 22, David says, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows whether God will uh, be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back? Of course, the answer is no. I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Now I want you to see three things that David did. When he brought his sin, his guilt, and his grief to God. First, David accepted what he could not change. Can I bring the child back? No. I'll someday I'll go to heaven to be with him, but I can't bring him back. I don't know how you've been hurt. It might be that your parents have hurt you. It might be your children have hurt you. It might be your spouse has hurt you. It might be your friends or relatives have hurt you. But you know what? All the grief in the world that we carry can't change the past. It can't undo what's already been done. The first step to emotional health and healing and restoration is the acceptance of what's in the past can't be changed and we need to go on from there. We need to pray and ask for God's help. We need to quit letting it eat us up in our mind and thinking about it all the time. You know, the more you think about something that has hurt you, the bigger it gets, and we begin to exaggerate it. We need to give it to God, pray, and turn it over to God. You don't have to go on hurting. Folks, in this life, pain is inevitable, inevitable. But misery is optional. You don't have to go on in that pain. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 20. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And he went to his own house and when he had asked, they set food before him and he ate. He went to church and got a new perspective and realized that God would give him strength to carry on. And the third thing he did he began to focus on what he had left instead of what he had lost. 
you're going to lose some things. You might not could get them back. Don't focus on that. Focus on what you've got left. Don't grieve over what is gone. You know, you know what? If you're still alive, God still has a plan for you and a purpose for you. And, and a, a God wants to use you. Just take your grief to him and trust him for the future and go on and serve him with what you got left. Now, the last thing, God wants to replace your grudges. We have grudges because of what people do to us that are wrong, how they wrong us and how they've hurt us. Well, I have to admit life is not fair and people are going to hurt you. So how do you handle the resentment that we are going to have? How do you keep that resentment from making you bitter? Did you know if you'll turn it over to God, it can make you better? The choice, though, is yours. Romans chapter 12 and verse 19 puts it this way. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. God says, you turn that over to me and I will get revenge for you. And you know what? God can do a better job of it than I can. And I can go on and love that person and trust God to take care of me. So this is our attitude that God wants us to have in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. He says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed in the day of redemption. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes into your heart and seals you. You're going to heaven. I mean, as far as God's concerned, you're already there. I mean, it's settled. But we're still here on the earth. We still have to live life. So as we do, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, the next two verses tells us. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, uh, one another as God, in, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what part of this scripture that we've talked about this morning applies to you in what way. But I know that all of us need God to restore our soul. It may be that you've never been saved. Earlier I told you about the girl that baptized yesterday. I was talking with her and I asked her, 
have you trusted Christ as your Savior? And she said, yes. I said, tell me about it. She said, well, I've been a very proud and sinful person. And I went to a church service, and I heard a preacher preach about a man in the Old Testament named Naaman, who was a great warrior, had won many victories, had been honored many times, but he was very proud. The problem was he had leprosy. He went to the man of God in Israel and asked if God would heal his leprosy. The man of God says, yes, if you will go to the Jordan River, the muddy, dirty Jordan River, and dip yourself seven times, God will heal you. He said, where I'm from, we have beautiful, clear, clean streams. Why can't I go dip myself there? No. He went away in a rage and anger. They stopped for a moment. And one of his soldiers said, if he'd have asked you to do some great thing so you could be healed, you'd have done it, wouldn't you? This great general said, yes, I would have done it. I can do it. Whatever he would have asked, I could have done it. This, his servant, his soldier said, but all he asked you to do was just humble yourself and dip in the muddy water. So he went to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times and he came up the seventh time clean and clear of all of his disease. And this college girl said, that was me. I was so proud. And when I heard that, God broke my heart and I began to weep. And she said, I wept and I wept and uncontrollably I wept. And God forgave me and cleansed me and saved me. Maybe that's what you need this morning. Maybe you need Christ as your Savior. Would you right now pray, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. I know Christ died for me. I know he rose from the dead so he could save me. Jesus, come into my heart and cleanse me. I trust you as my Savior. Heavenly Father, I don't know everybody's heart or life or grief or guilt or problems. You do. I pray that you would restore our soul this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.